This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of the Arsenal Raw Reaction Show. Looking back at Arsenal's last fixture, in this case, it was Arsenal winning 4 2 at Brighton at the Amex Stadium on New Year's Eve. Welcome to 2023, first of all, and I hope you had a fantastic evening last night. If you indeed did celebrate, it was made much easier, of course, by Arsenal getting the result, which always helps. And to break down yesterday's game, I'm joined by three wonderful people. First of all, joined by Soph. How are you doing, Soph? You good, Joel? Epic, thanks. Happy New Year, everybody. Indeed, indeed. How was uh, any said? I know that you said that you've not really been enjoying the festivities too much, but how much was New Year's Eve with yourself? Uh, it was great. Arsenal three points. It was the perfect end to the holiday season, and of course, with today's result, thank you, Emery. We love you. We always mm. have done. <laughs> Yes, I, I hadn't planned. I didn't really plan the time of this show uh, around the fact that Spurs were playing early. It's not like I, I time anything around Spurs at all, unless when <laughs> we're playing them. But uh, it was very kind of, of Mr. Emery to, to drop in a nice little nugget of joy at the start of 2023 uh, with that result. So thank you, Unai. Uh, finally, something I can be very, very happy about. Uh, <laughs> also, jo- <laughs> we're also joined by Mike. How are you doing, Mike? You good, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> it's the best 2023 i could have possibly hoped for so far i mean what what could be better better sorry what could be better, better? yeah indeed indeed uh no I, I was i mean for some people listening on audio they might have assumed you were actually in a ground uh that don't have the benefit of video that oh i will be i it, for some reason, on our next trip coming over for in a couple of weeks, I'm seeing Arsenal play twice and Spurs play three times. So I'm wow. going to have the chance to sing that many, many more times. But uh, maybe St. Totteringham's Day will actually come while I'm over. I mean, you never know. Well, you know, with the way things are going, uh, it's uh, it could be a lot sooner uh, than maybe we had even predicted. I, I was over when Conte got, got hired. I'm mm. going to be over when he leaves. Yeah, <laughs> I would be shocked if they let it go. Maybe we'll talk about that a little yeah, bit Sophie, later on. Uh, yeah, Sophie owes me an apology over that, by the way. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll wait for it to unmute. Why? Are you sure it's not Dan Potts? He's well, playing you for had, everything. You had got on my case about that, and I think uh, someone's being proven right. But you, I'm sure you would have a different take on that. Don't ever forget what Kevin Campbell said. It's the players. I, I was working with that when I said what I said. <laughs> okay, let's get, let's get Drew's ass well. in here. Oh, let's get Drew in here. Sorry, <gasps> he's done it already. <laughs> it took Tom, two minutes took me took like three minutes actually. Goodness me. Anyway, he spoiled uh, the the run up to our third guest, but making his return after some time away. Very happy to have him back and on camera. It's Drew. How you doing, Drew? You good, Joel? Yeah, happy New Year. How are you guys? Very good indeed. How are we? Tired. I mean, I worked yesterday. Uh, you know, the New Year being the New Year, but I'm good. Things are good. Lovely stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. We can see you and hear you perfectly fine. It's yep. a nice change from just staring at uh, a cannon, uh, which is often what you gift us with when you tune into these shows. But yeah, very much looking forward to seeing and hearing uh, your thoughts on yesterday's game. Well, obviously, this being the Raw Reaction Show, that is where we start. So, what are your Raw Reactions to yesterday's 4-2 win? I can't be anything but happy. I can nitpick about the second half and substitutions, but I'm just not going to do that because I think there's going to be plenty of time for us to nitpick stuff as tougher games come. But for us to go to Brighton, a team that we've struggled against, uh, I just thought that we showed tenacity, resolve, um, and in moments of adversity, you know, this Arsenal team continues to prove that, you know, they can overcome it. And uh, first half, you know, thought we controlled the game mostly, but then, you know, when we make substitutions and the, the starting 11 isn't on the pitch, you can see, you know, where we suffer. Um, was it a great idea to take both fullbacks off at the same time? Probably not, but we won the game and we have to preserve energy and take care of certain players. You know, I think fans forget Zinchenko's coming back from being out for a long time. Uh, you know, ben, Benjamin White is too valuable uh, and will be uh, will be needed against Newcastle. So I, I don't want to pick holes. I just want to say that what a game to come out of. And when they scored that third goal and it got disallowed, I was so relieved. Um, but again, not to sound like a, a cliche, but the old Arsenal probably would have walked away with a point in that match. Uh, but this Arsenal is very different. And one of the things, Tom, I think that is really important to know is that last season, you know, we we it was disappointing that we didn't get top four. It wasn't the goal, but it was disappointing that we didn't close that deal. For this team to come back from that disappointment and play the way they have, for this manager to prepare them the way he has, for these moments where Arsenal will fall on mental, they won't fall on talent, because we've got a really good team and we play really good football and probably some of the best football, not only in England right now, but in Europe, this team will fall on mental attitude and how they react in games. And you could see at the end there, Arteta, all he was doing was this, this, this. Last season, we fell apart at Newcastle, mm. fell apart against Brighton, Southampton, Crystal Palace. This is and feels different this season. And as long as we can keep that together and keep that mental strength and conditioning, I think that we've got every chance um, to, to win the Premier League. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the key for me is the mental um, approach in every single game going forward. Mike, your raw reactions, please. Uh, ditto. 
Um, exactly what Sophie just said. I mean, look, it, it, I, I love the fact that people are talking about the mentality of our team now because that has been, to me, what's been more important than the talent. Uh, Kev says it's the players, and he's right, but it's not just the players' talent. It's the players' mentality that makes a team able to survive disappointment, to, to come back from a pretty tough, hard-to-accept loss at Old Trafford against the hated Manchester United and then come back and win, what is it, seven straight games after that? Five, yeah. seven, whatever it is in the league. Uh, to be able to concede first against West Ham and, and blow them away for the rest of the game. Able to, to, to concede a 3-1, start seeing people get nervous. I heard those Brighton fans uh, after that goal totally get those that had not left the the Amex already totally get back into the match at that point and it would have been I mean I you know again I hate I hate to be negative about former players but the you know the Mustafis of the world the Aubameyangs of the, I mean they they would have hung their heads and that spreads and permeates one or two guys holding their heads down or looking around them is more powerful than nine guys having or or you know this isn't a guy thing but i mean nine players having their mm. having the the right mentality um it's like the noisy minority of negativity sometimes that you see you hear it louder and so we don't have those guys anymore who we've gotten rid of in the last four or five years has been as important as who we've added not more important but as important as who we've added and the chemistry experiment is just on target right now. I mean, every single player in that team cares about winning and makes and makes everyone else want to win. And it's this, it's just exponential piling on that there's not a whole lot of adversity. And I'm praying that the injury bug isn't one of them, but there's not a whole lot of adversity that this club is is having to face that they can't internally resolve and get over. And that is how you win championships. So I mean, the quality of play at times yesterday was, and, and the second half against West Ham was just, I mean, we haven't seen that in years and years and years. Mm. But, I, you know, because I don't know, you know, a half of 1% of what the other three of you know about football tactics, I just focus on what I'm seeing in the players' faces, in their attitudes, in what they say before and after the match. And, I mean, I, I feel like I'm watching – something that I haven't seen in decades. And it's just beautiful. I'm rubbish Those on clients. tactics, Mark. <laughs> I was just I'm being nice, but I, I mean, said fullbacks just to look good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can say that too, because I read it on Twitter, but uh, you know, and, and because, <laughs> because it, honestly, after the fact, I mean, I didn't hear anyone say, Whoa, you might not want to do this. But then when we, when we gave up a goal or two after doing it, everyone was like, I told you, you shouldn't have done this. Yeah, but, we'll know. talk about that. That's that is something I want to go on to because I've you know that that was something that came up in the comment section in this morning's show as well. But uh, yeah, before we get to some of the finer details, let's talk to the, the tactics man himself to get his thoughts on things. Drew, your raw reactions on on yesterday's win. Mm, it's kind of hard to to, to add on to what Sophie Mike has said, which is which isn't a bad thing. I think we'll move on. Thank you, Drew. No. Um, <laughs> It's um tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. We'll see you back. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me it's uh it showed that the maturity that we have, despite the age, I think is kind of what's important. And I think talent will never win championships or Premier League titles or Champions Leagues or whatever on its own. And it's not just the the camaraderie that the squad has. <clears throat> 
in terms of how they believe in each other, it's the fact that they also believe in themselves on an individual level. And a lot of the times when you have young players, they stop believing in their ability when you reach adversity. So for me, we've seen it multiple times this season where I can think of five or six times where a lot of us have said, you know, if this was last season or two years ago, we would have, we would have caved. And it, for me, I think that's probably the, the biggest difference maker in terms of where we are and where we could be in terms of rather where we used to be, you know, not to the first came in. And I agree with Mike. I think it's the, when you remove, I wouldn't call them like cancerous bits, but if you remove the things that can mm. infect the squad, that's really important. And you see that in, in other, you saw it with Ronaldo at United and a lot of people got on Ten Hag for that, <clears throat> but he correctly removed Ronaldo from the 11 because when you have someone of, of, of a figure of that much prominence, they carry their weight of opinion carries because uh, younger players, and there's a lot of younger players at United now, they will look to someone like a senior figure like Ronaldo and even inadvertently might take on that kind of that same mentality just through osmosis because you're with this person in training every day. You pick up on body language and all these things kind of make sense in terms of when how you're building out a squad and the things you want and don't want that are uh, kind of aspects of it. So I think yesterday for me, it still showed that we're still not there yet in terms of how good we can be in from a mental standpoint, but we're definitely improving because I do think there are certain stages where we did switch off and I think that just that's mm. part and parcel with when the core of your squad is so young, they just have to kind of learn and grow through the, and go with the punches. And I think we're still doing that. So I think Arteta is still working on that. And I think that shows because obviously I think we would have caved if this was last season. I think, you know, Sophie already pointed that out. Um, but in terms of the result, it just shows that it also on the flip side, we know that we already had lost to Brighton this season. And yet we still kind of went there and, and then got the result. So it does show that they also can set the record straight on their own accord. And I think that in itself shows that mental strength, even regardless of the fact that we almost allowed a third goal late on, it shows that they didn't go into that match fearing Brighton. I don't think we fear anybody. And I think that's maybe for me, the biggest thing that I like seeing this season is this young squad won't back down no matter who we play. And that's that mentality you have to have if you want to go on and, and be successful in terms of, uh, winning major honors and it's the the things that you see at other bigger clubs. So, yeah. As for the result, I think it's there's no better way to kind of bookend the the calendar year. Um, I think it gives us all that kind of bit of confidence going into a really tough match against Newcastle, and that's not going to be very easy. I think, um, mm. and that should probably even more so. I think that'll probably test us even more than Brighton. And if we come away with that. Then I think you, you, I think you'd struggle to find our, a lot of Arsenal fans. I would say that you know we're not where we are. Our, we're, we're, it's not a fluke at this point. When you look at our record, how we've been playing, some of the football we've been playing, it's very reminiscent of some of the better times that we've all experienced at, at certain stages of our life. So the fact that we can um, kind of go into twenty twenty three with confidence in that, it's a feeling that we're all trying to get used to again because we haven't had that for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I love the result and and Ben bring on Newcastle. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think all three of you have summed up every inch uh, of kind of the game from that summarising standpoint. And there is such a feel-good factor around things. Um, you know, I feel like if this result was, say, two years ago, we might be focusing a lot more on the on the two goals we conceded more than, say, the four goals that we can, we scored and talk about, you know, how we need to develop and move on from these mistakes so that we can win 4-1 or 4-0. And, you know, but actually, I think that, it's it's almost impossible to expect us the way that we play not to have our vulnerabilities at times, not to see 
goals be conceded. And I think that we're focusing rightfully on the on the positives of this game because it was filled with so many good things. I think the key one, and, and Andrew, I'm going to come back to you on this because I think it'd be unfair to leave you to last um, on this one. But this man is just a... I can't, I've run out of superlatives to describe him. I He's on the back of this shirt because it, I consider it to be the best Arsenal shirt of all time. And I'm not even exaggerating it genuine. And it might earn itself a title, which is just in itself uh, something else quite special. But Erdegaard's gone through since we signed him on loan from Real Madrid to the point where we signed him doubts and questions and always kind of that what could have happened if we'd assigned Madison or what if we happened if we'd signed Emi Buendia and is Erdogan going to be the guy that took us on? I know that I know Mike's laughing because I was one of those people um but what, what would have happened if we had you know signed someone else they, these were always the questions around Erdogan are we going to get enough from someone that's not scoring double digits in midfield well He's answering those questions. And not only is he answering them, I think he's doing it absolutely by playing his own game, playing his way, and also developing under, obviously, a coach that believes him a lot. But talk me through, if you can, and use better words than me, uh, your opinion on Martin Odegaard. I think he's either turning into or already is that player that a lot of people wanted Mesut Ozil to be. And it's not that Mesut Ozil wasn't a brilliant player. And because you see a lot of the the touches, the understanding of space, and that that pass to Martinelli for his second. That's the kind of stuff that Ozil was doing. The difference is, is Ozil also, rightly or wrongly, didn't always stand up when you really needed him to. And that can be analyzed maybe in a different way. Maybe he has his own struggles, maybe on or off the pitch that we don't understand, right? So his head would definitely drop for sure. Erdogan's head doesn't drop. So there's a reason why he's captain. And I think a lot of people will always talk about Bukayo Saka correctly, Martinelli, uh, the way that how uh, Jesus has transformed the squad. These are all like undeniable quantifiable things that we have in, in the side at the moment, but I don't think any of that is possible without Erdegaard. I don't think if we had someone like a Madison or a Buendia and anyone like that in the team, <laughs> I don't think it would be possible. And yeah. this kind of speaks to, and this permeates into the conversation of which we might come on to later about, you know, Mihail Mudrik, about everyone saying, you know, Arteta wants Mudrik, Edu wants Mudrik. And I have a lot of questions about that, but the Erdegaard deal shows that kind of when when they know they want a particular person for a reason, they kind of stick to it. So despite all the noise that surrounded a lot of the transfers we've had, Edu and Arteta stuck to their gun. So I think they kind of looked at Odegaard beforehand and us having him on loan for that first period kind of, I think, dispelled any potential um, uh, kind of uh, questions about the deal. So we, we, we won't get that with other things, but... I think that he's the fact that he's so quickly come on and, and become like that that new nucleus that we have. Mm. And still, even even though he's been brilliant this season, people still talk about Saka more, I think, than he does. I think there's probably a bit bias in it. Saka's a home homegrown kid, obviously, you know, he's come mm. through the, the system. So he'll get that that extra bit of love. But um and in a way it also kind of reminds me of Dennis Burkamp in that way. Everyone talked about Henri and, and Robert Pires for the longest time, even though Burkamp was here before that and was more experienced, yeah. ha- had been doing it longer. And Odegaard kinda of has that same that same resume. You know, people forget how good he was when he was like on Lone and Heron Veen or uh 
uh, uh, Vadisa Arnhem. He was very good, and, and then people dismissed that because it was the Eredivisie. But, you know, you, you go to Real Madrid for a reason. It might not have worked out there, but it's working out brilliantly here. So I, I don't think what we have and what we've achieved this season or what we how well we played last season, it wouldn't be possible without him. And I, I do think that more than anybody else in this team, he's definitely ir- irreplaceable. I think for the shorter spurts, we could probably get on with other people. But for Erdegaard, I think, I don't know if he's the best player in the Premier League overall. I think he's certainly the best player in the Premier League. No, currently. not overall. No, no, no. Right now. Yeah. Right now, yes. Yeah. On on form, I think the way that he's influencing this Arsenal team, I think there's no better player in the Premier League currently. And that includes Kevin De Bruyne, who I absolutely love as a player. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. So right now? That's so good. <laughs> Literally at the moment, I'm, I would imagine someone from Chelsea or Nottingham Forest is playing better than than than, than him at this moment because he's sitting on a couch. <laughs> hmm. You don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he could be on playing five aside somewhere. You never know. Keepy keep uppies in his uh, in his living room. <laughs> is I mean, is he Mike the best player in the Premier League right now in terms of the current form of, of Premier League footballers? It's either him or Emi Buendia. Um, <laughs> I mean, as the Norwegian Emi Buendia, the guy is is. I, I honestly, I think that. I mean, he's been playing professional football at the highest or loaned from the highest level since he was 15 years old. And what I you're going to say since he was a fetus? Though. No, well, that I would mean, have been more appropriate <laughs> since he was your age. And um, and it's it's clear to me that while he was good, he's been. He's improved in the 18 months or however long, I guess, if you include the, the the loan, it's been two years now that he's been at Arsenal. And, you know, whether that's the players he's played around, whether that's the, the trust and the frequency of his play, whether that's down to Arteta and the coaching staff, that I don't know. You probably know. Uh, but you, you could tell, and, and I don't take much, generally speaking, from friendlies. Uh, I take positives from friendlies. We talked about this on Christmas. I take positives from friendlies. These friendlies, uh, specifically during the, you know, with with less than a full team during the middle of the year during the World Cup, you know, I, I didn't take that much from them. But what I did take was Martin Odegaard looked on a different level. He looked like, you know, and and maybe it was because he wasn't playing against Milan's absolute best side or uh, Leon's absolute best side, but he looked a different player. And he's just carried that on into the game, you know, in the last two games since. I mean, this guy is going to be the key to everything. He is a player that players around the world would salivate about playing with, just like Ozil in his prime was, uh, just like a handful, a very small handful of players around the league. And, and, you know, we've got a winning strategy right now or, or winning winning tactics, winning mentality. And we've got players like Bukayo Saka, Martinelli and Odegaard that and Gabby Jesus that I mean, if you're a player from, I don't know, Ukraine or 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 uh, or from other places that, that, that one in the chat box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're in, if you're in Tom's chat box right now, you're going to want to play for the Arsenal just to play with this guy because he will make you better. There's no two ways yeah. about it. I mean, the, the the guy's on a different level. Um, he is the captain of this team. He, I, I, I saw, I saw an article in a particular newspaper that I'm not going to mention uh, about him possibly going back to Real Madrid. 
uh, <laughs> in January. I couldn't help but chuckle, but yeah. And, and you know, and and I mean, I don't know if I knew anyone that worked for that paper, I'd be embarrassed. But um, but yeah, the, uh, the hold on. What was the original source like? What was the original source? I only saw. I don't know. I I couldn't yeah, tell because yeah, there were okay. so many pop-up so ads. The my, there were so many pop-up ads on my screen. I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, honestly, just I mean, I I don't even know. He wouldn't do that. I, I honestly believe he wouldn't do that. And I'm not saying Arsenal have reached Real Madrid levels of 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 peak destination yet. I mean, so many players in the world look at that as being the ultimate. Don't know why, uh, but the, uh, you know, I don't think he looks at it that way. I think he's the kind of player that feels like he's found a home. He enjoys where he is. He enjoys who he's with. He enjoys who's coaching him. And, uh, and he's a leader of this team, whether he, whether it's in the, you know, the, the, style of John Terry or, or Patrick Vieira, whether it's in the style of Martin Odegaard. But he, he's unstoppable and probably, along with four other people in the starting 11, guys that you just can't do without. And that's the greatest thing about the team right now is that, you know, we, we can just, I can wax lyrical and throw pictures up of almost every player in the team because <laughs> every single one of them you deservedly, you know, want to talk about for such a length of time. Um, I mean, you can't do without <laughs> no, it's you know if if based on his World Cup performance, genuinely, if Ramsdale got injured, I'd I'd be you know worried in the sense that we've lost Ramsdale. But I I'd, I've kind of liked what I've seen from Turner, you know, and I think you know you can't expect a world class backup goalkeeper nine times mm-hmm. or ninety nine times out of hundred from a team. And you know, I think Turner had a great World Cup and, and deserves the the credit that he got for that. So if that happens, it happens, and I assume in the Europa League will probably keep his place. Um, I think after yesterday, some people are actually hoping that that happens. <laughs> yeah, Ramsdale had a couple of questions, that's for sure. Um, so we've managed to talk, you know, at length about Martin Odegaard without even referencing the pass to Martinelli, which might be my the my favourite pass. I'm trying to think of one I prefer more. Um, and I'm struggling. They probably no. Is. That's the that's the pass of all passes. I yeah. mean, the also my, my cousin called me and he said, "Did he look up and tell Martinelli to make that no. run?" I'm like Martinelli's making that run, yeah. uh, George. Uh, but it's just the way he immediately the 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 venom he put into the pass as well. It was just Kev talked about it yesterday. The timing, the perfection. It was just exquisite. And early on, I think the reason why some Arsenal fans didn't embrace uh, Odegaard is because I coined that phrase, by the way. Um, I know I never tried to take credit for anything, but I really I'm making the T-shirt. I mean, Odegaard. Well, yeah, with the O and oh, the Mike. Know. Mike can vouch for me, right? I mean, I, I would o. say that our, our late friend Vinny was a big Odegaard promoter. Well, I tell you what, I'll give Vinny. We will pay homage to Vinny because. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that the loan spell wasn't too exciting. And I think sometimes when you're talking about signing a player who's a protege, who's coming from Real Madrid, you expect brilliance immediately. And then when we signed him, I I think some Arsenal fans were like, eh, because he didn't set the world on fire. Mm. It takes a while for players to settle. I think sometimes we forget that they're human beings. They're moving to another country. They're playing for another club. You know, maybe his dream was to play for Real Madrid and make it there. Didn't happen. And I think what's happened is he, he he played a lot in the shadows. I said that about Thomas Partey on our show too. Sometimes players play in the shadows and you don't appreciate what they do, what they bring to a team. 
Well, this season, Odegaard's totally come out of his shadow and he's embraced the leadership role. Someone on our show wrote to me yesterday and said, so if I think one of the reasons too is since Jesus has gone out, he's gone up, like he's elevated himself. It's almost like he's taken the burden of he's, yes, he's the leader of the team on the pitch, Jesus, in terms of everything that he does. He's shown the team how to work harder, graft, um, believe. And I think he's taken on that mantle and it's elevated the way he's playing, the way he's leading on the pitch. Um, he's just a joy to watch. And he's also been questioned about whether or not he should be captain. And again, silent leaders, you don't have to be, I was saying to Kev, you don't have to be bellowing like Tony Adams. Leadership in today's modern world is very different. And Jesus and Odegaard lead by example on the pitch by how they play. And for us, in terms of having a face of the club in Saka and this guy, I mean, there's so much to be proud of. They're good guys as well. And I think we've finally got players who aren't apathetic. Drew alluded to that earlier. People who want to play for the club, players who want to play for the club, that they're, they've all bought into what Mikel is selling. They've drank the Mikel Kool-Aid, and that's great. And you know what's funny is uh, we had Rebecca Lowe on our show the other day. And, and she I was, was going to interrupt you to compliment you on that, but I'm glad you're getting oh, that. Um, I just did interrupt you now. So. There's <laughs> some nug no, I love it. There's some nuggets because it's what's translated, Tom. She said she was what interviewing Mikel. Saka, I hope you get to that. We'll get to that after, I think, when Tom might mention Saka and stuff. You can mention it, Mike. But she she spoke to Mikel Pitchside, and I said to her, what's the vibe? She said, one of the things that she really wants is for him to relax a little bit more with the media, that he's a bit too uptight and he would get a lot more love and support from the media if he just kind of chills out a bit. But she yeah. said the juxtaposition to that is that he is obsessed with Arsenal Football Club. And she said, I wonder where his wife falls into his category on the day to day or the week, because she yeah. said, I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure he wakes up breathing Arsenal, training Arsenal, oh, training again etc etc and they all got that vibe the players too tim howard robbie earl robbie musto got that vibe from him and that is what's translating to this team if you have a manager who's that serious and that obsessed and this is where he deserves the credit but the players who digest it and embrace it they didn't towards the end with wenger they didn't halfway through towards the end with emery some of the players didn't at the beginning with mikel he got rid of them now he has players who believe in everything that he's doing and he needs his captain to inject all of that. And between mm. all how all those pieces come together, Tom, you're seeing the best of these players now because I think the trust is there and I think that is what's manifesting on the pitch and what they're, what they're doing in training and believing in their manager as well. And Odegaard is an image of his manager. Um, and even in the interviews after, they're, they're trying to goad the players about the title and he's not having it. And I love that he's saying game by game still. And I, I love that he's captain and I love that he's having and he's in good form right now. And it's so important that this guy stays fit. He and Thomas and Xhaka, I, they're, I, I like that. they're our holy trinity. You know, Barcelona had their Iniesta, Xavi and Messi. And my God, we're not close to that by any stretch. Don't kill me but we have a core midfield that makes everything else tick. 
No, I really, really well summed up. Um, I I have to interrupt the running order slightly because I've just seen, and courtesy of our good friend John in our TGT WhatsApp group, for sending this through. But I have to inform you of this quote from Antonio Conte. I'm praying it's true, first of all. I hope John hasn't swindled me and anyone in the chat wants to tell me if it is indeed true. But I've done a quick search on Twitter as well to check, and I have seen it in other places too, again, hoping that this is true. But Conte speaking after Spurs' defeat, today said I want to be honest I want to be very clear I have said this to the club I have said my opinions the fans deserve the best maybe to stay in fifth is the best maybe sixth seventh fifth or fourth is the best I mean (laughs) have you ever heard any like such bilge from Mikel Arteta ever talking about Arsenal in that way like I love it when he starts crying Tom love it brilliant it's It's brilliant It's over. It has to be over in in that sense. I mean, you can't. How can a club keep a manager on saying something like that? If that, and and as well, you know, I've been at times where, you know, during the down, deepest, darkest moments of Arteta's tenure and said, you know, I probably might have taken Conte, you know, and I, I say that with utter regret in this moment. But there's a lot of people out there that said that Conte should have taken over at Arsenal because, and using the words, because he's a winner. That does not sound like the words of a winner. And what I would say about Mikel Arteta and Edu as well, who spoke to my colleague Kaya Kainak in the summer, when he was asked, what kind of how did Arsenal get back into the Champions League? How do Arsenal get back into the top four? And Edu turned around and said, I'm not thinking about the Champions League. I'm not thinking about the top four. I'm thinking about Arsenal finishing as high up the table as feasibly possible. And that has always been the difference, you know, with, with what we're doing. Yes, they might have finished above us in the last six seasons, but it's taken these six seasons to really overhaul things, to make the right decisions from a managerial point of view, to make the mistake of, in my view, a mistake of Emery and then make the right choice in Arteta and make further mistakes with team recruitment and then really turn it around with some really positive changes under Arteta and Edu to get where we are now. But I had to read out that quote because it's just so, it's just so apt for the where the two teams are. So, so can I can I say something real fast? And I kind of wanted to get the, the collective thought. It's obviously because like history is my thing, and everyone knows that phrase. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. People mm. also forget that Rome had some massive setbacks in its history, like gargantuan setbacks in its history, where they were on the precipice of actually never reaching the height that they actually did before they got. There. I've missed your historical lectures. I know. Really. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so, um, and I think. And I, we've all kind of said this. And yeah, there were times where maybe we began to, to question as well. But there's a difference. If you want to build something sustainable, it takes time. And it, it, it's a tiered process. You don't get sustainability overnight. And by just plugging in a great manager and spending 300 million and then poof, there it is. That's not sustainable. You might get a, a, a brief spell of success two three seasons. But the house of cards will likely already fall at that point. And... We always talk about Liverpool as well. It took Klopp didn't come in and Liverpool wasn't brilliant, you know, and, and I have a lot of time for Klopp, obviously, because I'm, I'm a Dortmund supporter as well. So, but Liverpool did it right. And I think that's what we were doing. We were doing right. And obviously a lot of people got a lot of stick for saying, trust the process. And everyone was asking, well, what's the process? It's like, well, you're seeing it. It's just, it might not be ha- happening as fast as you wanted it to. But if you want a, a kind of a quick fix, you're going to get a quick fix. And then when that fix is over, it's like kind of like, uh, kind of get like a temporary high as well. It's like, oh, I feel great now, but mm. I'm going to come down off of that and then I'm going to be a mess and how I'm going to recover from that. Then you get another quick fix and then the cycle repeats. 
if you want to stay. I was going to say, all Drew's saying is don't do drugs, kids. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's, the message, that's the message of the Guna talk. But if you want to remain <laughs> where you're at, you have to do it the right way. And when it comes to Spurs, I and all of us in this chat and everyone in the chat box is obviously kind of reveling in, in, in the mess right now because they've definitely taken a lot of band-aids to try to get to somewhere quickly. And I don't think their vision is incorrect. It's the way they're going about mm. the, to achieve the vision is incorrect. Building the stadium was the right thing to do because it opens up a lot of revenue streams, non-football related, which is important, obviously, because of, as the game is more global now, you kind of have to take that into account. Getting Even getting Conte wasn't necessarily a, a bad move, but there's been a clear disconnect between Conte, Paratici, and with the actual club, how they want to go about that achieving that goal. And that's part of sustainability is getting the right people in on all levels, not just your manager, not just your ownership, but those have to be in sync for it to work. So, and it's, it's funny that it's all come full circle now because so one of my colleagues at work is a massive Spurs fan. Mm, my boss Spurs fan. <laughs> and after every result like this, I'm like, so is this, is this sustainable? And he just laughs and he no, he no longer has a response because he used to take the piss out of all of us before. It's like, well, how's Arsenal doing? It looks real sustainable. But now it's like, well, Look at, the, look at the reverse now. You don't build a if you have a, a, a nice house, you don't build you can add to it, you can add to the surface, you can add the decor, you can you can repair the roof. But if you don't, I'm making like an Owen uh young analogy here because <laughs> everything's about building and and construction. Oh, but like but if you're building a brand new house from the bottom up and you concentrate on the walls and the ceiling and you don't build a foundation, it's gonna come crashing down. And yeah. And I think we are now seeing uh, 14 months to the day almost after he was hired that that was a desperate move from Tottenham. That was not an ambitious move. That was just basically a, a patchwork. Mm. You know, we're we're going to hire someone who wins, but we're not going to actually focus on why he wins and, and the scenarios and situations in which he wins. And also and, the squad it takes for him to win. He, they're buying players that don't suit Conte, and Conte wants players that they don't want to buy. So it's just like... If why did they was, buy Jed Spence? Like, yeah, why did they do that? that coming, why did you do that? It doesn't make Phil Jackson, who, who, who can take teams that have what it takes and, and push them over the edge and inspire yeah. them. And, and, and you know, I, I'm sure he's tactically brilliant, but he's not, he's not a team builder. And he doesn't have the patience and the willpower and the desire to stick around for three years building a team either. And that is why this move is destined to fail, and and why fourteen months into an eight into a nineteen month contract, he hasn't <laughs> even talked about extending the contract. They he focus more on they focus more on their branding, their yeah. stadium, and all of the oh. other ancillary aspects of the business, oh. and they've bought decent players, but. I remember a good friend of the show, LaGrove, got stick for saying, you know, it would be disaster window if Arsenal signed Jed Spence, Fraser Foster, Hoy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there were fans going nuts if about... Arsenal got the Champions League and qualified for the Champions League and used that, that kind of step up to sign a, a Richarlison for 60 million. You know, they signed no players that genuinely start for them, really. I mean, Perisic has been starting... But yeah. he's not. He's, he, 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 and Bentoncourt have been good signings for them. Here's yeah, the scoop too. Here's, here's the scoop too, Tom. They have. Imagine if this was Arsenal. We did it too. They have wasted the Son and Kane chapter. Mm. Completely wasted it. They can have all the records in the books. They can, you know, the shiny toy, the 
the duo, the tandem, they've wasted it. And in hindsight now, when you look back, firing Pochettino was probably the biggest mistake they made. Talk about staying. If they Not had selling Kane might have been the bigger mistake. Well, that too. But also when you look at, uh, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, Flex from Man United and he said he hopes that United keep patience and use the blueprint of Arsenal with Mikel Arteta mm. in Ten Hag because he believes that he could turn it around, right? Pochettino definitely um, suffered after the Champions League, but we've seen players, they lose a final, they'll suffer. In hindsight, maybe their young manager, if they backed him a little bit more, was the answer to their their, their problems. Um but, I hey, I love to see it. Let's all celebrate. The, yeah. the world has realigned. It's reset. Tottenham could be in the gutter again. This is fabulous. It is fabulous. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on to the next couple of topics, uh, Craig in the chat box, thank you so much for the kind donation. Happy New Year, guys. Tottenham get battered everywhere. They're home. Uh, he says, what a great start to the year. Love me some Craig. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's a fantastic listener, and uh, it's it's great. He like, sends me some fantastic photos as well uh, from Fort Lauderdale, which he sent me that very kind scarf you can see behind me as well. Um, we'll be so, definitely yeah. catching some games together. In the, oh, in the is, to is he over is in he... January? No, I mean, uh, I mean in Florida. Oh, cool. go to the. I'm sure he's going to the fan fest in Orlando. Is he making? He the trip absolutely down is going to the fan fest, which which I can't believe I'm missing, but you know, stupid <laughs> reason too. Uh, if you're in the UK, uh, it's 2023. And if you're in the US, it's 2023. But if you're in Tottenham, it's 1961. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to laugh at your rivals, what football's about. Um, and that is part and parcel. And thankfully, we have rivals that we can constantly laugh at. I saw a tweet, I think, from a Spurs fan that was like, you might be seven points clear, but don't forget the 2,000 plus days that you haven't finished above us. And I'm like, and I think it was Ken that replied to it. I'll good friend Ken that goes to the games in those six years that you've won nothing we've won two FA Cups and you're like what are you really going to look back on 2,000 odd days that you finished above us in a league it doesn't matter they're in that bargaining stage of grief I mean they 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 just don't know how to how to handle it they don't hold on to it yeah and it's like well we also made a Champions League final what's the point it's like that's something you win the Champions League final as some kind of marker of quality like we don't look back on the on 2006 and go what an amazing achievement we got back on that 2006 final as an utter failure of what could have been and we never the beginning of a downward spiral and yeah absolutely it was it wasn't the it wasn't the and and, and guess what it was the beginning of their downward spiral that and a new stadium even in our darkest days mike and out on our knees we won four fa cups three under wenger and one under mikhail i mean we were we were a dead club Mm-hmm. We're a cup team, but yeah. we still beat City and Chelsea twice to win the FA Cup. Name me a fan out there or a team out there that wouldn't bite our hand off to have one of those FA Cups. They would. Some some of them won't. I, I've interviewed some of them okay. in their stadium. They'd have no idea why they support their team. They just they, they just don't know. <laughs> they support they don't for the FA Cup. That's the reason why. I haven't yeah, figured out how to not yet. 
that's what that's, was that drew they support from where the, the audi cup that's why they support Spurs. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that brilliant audi cup um, anyway the audi cup after that as well <laughs> <laughs> we've got on quite a tangent to be fair and i'm, I'm glad that we did because it was enjoyable to be honest but we will uh swiftly move on to kind of the last individual topics you're going to get a topic each before we talk about the elephant in the room um as well so uh drew i'll start with you uh eddie and ketia uh on this topic getting the belief from his manager you know given that contract has come in despite again all the questions about what he could do um he has done brilliantly well scored two in two but does the real test start now with the games that we're facing i think it kind of will um and i think it should be clear that i kind of feel like he so i've had to review my thoughts on Enkete and not because i think this will probably be slightly unfavorable so but i'm gonna to stick to it i don't think he's necessarily played brilliantly but the thing is i don't think he needs to and this is kind of where i think and is giving the the 11 what people thought obama Yang was going to give which is just being in the right place at the right time making the right runs and finishing moves and having that that killer instinct in the box but he's never going to be that expansive center forward or that trend transformative player through the nine that people think that, that that Gabriel Jesus has become. He's not that kind of forward, but he doesn't have to be because he still fits into the yoke of what Arteta is trying to do on a tactics level. And he's brilliantly finishing off uh, passages of play, whereas uh, some other players haven't in the past. Maybe, you know, Lacazette for whatever reason, like I said, bombing before, because he's willing to do the things that require to get him into those positions to get the goals. And I think that for me is kind of all the what we needed. So when I was looking at the Enkete situation, I was saying, well, he's just not, it's, it's going to be slightly different because he's not going to be giving us what Jesus does and how Jesus has come in and really been one of the key reasons why we are where we are. But I think it also shows the evolution of the team and us on a, on a tactical standpoint that Enkete doesn't have to be Jesus and we're still being just as successful with him in that role. And I think that's important. It also shows how good we are as a side collectively. And I think that stands to note that that might be an advantage that we have over maybe anybody else, even City, because if City lose Erling Holland, that's very hard to replace. And as much as uh, Julian Alvarez came on well in at the World Cup to his own credit, and he's looked good before that for City, which is why he got into uh, Lionel School inside anyway, I don't think Julian Alvarez can come in and give City even half of what Holland does. And we are getting something with Enketia without Jesus that I don't think people expected. In practice, in theory, they did, but in practice, I, yeah. So I'm, I, I I'm, always avoid talking about live scores just in case yeah. <laughs> people yeah. listening like a day later. So, <laughs> God, yeah. Chelsea won five one. Forest have equalized, but yeah. To, Sorry, to, to, no, son, to answer your question, I feel like I don't think he's feeding off Are the belief because I think yet? I think no, <laughs> I think he always I think he always had the belief. And I think that's the, that's the important because he's always had to believe because Arteta has always believed in him. So it's not just really feeding it. It's just kind of almost business as usual. But that also kind of speaks to, like we said before, about how Arteta just, he knows what he needs. He's, he's, he knows that Enketia has what he needs or what he wants. And I think Enketia is just, he's being told to just go out and just do what he does. Just know there's nothing extra. It's nothing, um, there's no pressure being applied. It's just go out and play your game because you know you've produced in the past and he's done well in the Europa League. That that can't be discredited. He did well at the back end of last season. That can't be discredited. So I don't think it's anything more than what it already kind of just was before. It's just don't worry about the noise. You've been here before. That's when you scored goals. Just keep doing what you're doing. 
And I don't think that's necessarily feeding off belief. It's just knowing you can continue what you've always been doing previously. So, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I love the fact that he's scoring game after game. Um, I want him to prove people wrong. I want him to silence doubts. I've, I've had my own doubts, you know, and he's, he's definitely doing everything he can to, to silence those. And it's great to see. He's, he's, you know, I think that his goal yesterday really kind of summed up just the determination he has to get into those positions to try and get a goal. And that was great. Um, I was pointing through you to Tom, uh, Sophie. I wasn't hmm. pointing at you. <laughs> what did I do? Did I? Am I in trouble? No, no, you didn't do anything. I just thought I thought uh, you were going to get upset because because when he said he had his doubts, I was pointing to Tom. But I was. Oh, I listen! I want Eddie to continue making a total fall out of me. I would love yeah. it. That's Please carry want. on, Eddie. Uh, I really do. Um, that's it. Indeed. Indeed, uh, Mike. I love. I, I, you've probably seen this video um, going around Zinchenko <laughs> celebrating. It's glorious. Uh, it's a total Mike moment, isn't it? What wasn't so great though was obviously when he and Ben White came off. We we instantly looked more vulnerable. Um, I think it was more so on our right-hand side. Mitama was fantastic. I really love that player. I think he's he's a real star. Um, and somehow 25, I thought, you know, I was talking about this morning, talking about as if he was like 20 years old, but he is 25. Um, still think I'd be curious about seeing what he'd do at a big, big club. But uh, is what, what did that... What did that? Because there's been a lot of debate, and there was this morning in my chat box about this. Some said that like oh, that was risky; we shouldn't have done that. But I sat back and was like, "Well, you know, we've got a game in three days, and we kind of need to rest Zinchenko because he's a fitness doubt at times." Ben White, of course, you've got Tommy Asu. Why not give him a bit of a rest? He needs it. You know, he's played pretty much every game so far this season. So, what did, what did you make of the change and how it affected the game? You're asking me the tactical question. Mm, I am indeed. Yeah. Um, I just I don't think it matters really when you're when you're when you're a team if you have the ability to not start doubting yourself because you conceded two and scored four that's a big if I mean if in turn you forget what anyone else thinks forget what the fans think um, if if you can survive that the, then the last 20 30 minutes of this game can be looked at similarly to a friendly it wasn't. But what I'm saying is that, you know, what we needed to have was we needed to have, like you said, Tomiyasu getting some game time. So he's not just thrown in after not really playing for the club in, in quite some time. Hmm. So, I mean, it, it, we've seen situations where subs were made and the game turned a little bit. I, I think we saw it against United uh, when we played, you know, when we played up there, we made some substitutions that definitely did not work out. And we've seen the opposite from that. But there's a better time to make a mistake and there's a worse time to make a mistake. And, you know, we were up 3-0 at the time or 3-1? Yeah, it was 3-0. It was 3-0. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at, at that point, I think you can start to say we value the – I mean, it's not like he knew that we were taking a huge step down in class by by putting in Tierney and, and – um, you mean and, our starting and, fullbacks from last season? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not like we, you know, we started putting in kids – like yeah. we would at halftime of a friendly, we put in very, very good fullbacks who up until we we signed them and made changes in our in our back four that that superseded them were perfectly good and almost got us to top four in, in their part. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily have predicted that was going to happen. The fact that it did happen in a game where we had three goals of cushion and went on to score a fourth is, uh, you know, it's it's another lesson learned in a low pressure, low risk environment. Hmm. Um, 
I think it it might make clear that if given the choice between the four of them, you're going to start the two that we started yesterday nine times out of ten if they're fit and have the minutes in their legs. But, uh, you know, it, it was noticeable. It was problematic. Yeah. And it won't happen again. And if it does happen again, it'll probably happen when we're up 5-0 against, uh, you know, against Spurs in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's the key. If you take off both your starting fullbacks, there's going to be change. You know, no matter how good they are, you you take off those two yeah. players, you are going to see a difference. And in a period of the game where all of the impetus is on Brighton to basically throw caution to the wind at this point and really go for it at 3-0 down, you know, there is going to be a reaction to that. What I liked is that Arsenal remained calm. You know, they hit on the counter with the Odegaard through ball to Martinelli, got the fourth as well. Yes, it would have been a very nervy last few minutes had that third goal stood, of course. And maybe if it had been 4-4, we'd be talking about this moment very, very differently and maybe a, a risk that we shouldn't have taken. But I agree, at 3-0 up... It was 4-4, you know, we wouldn't be doing this show right now. No, no, no <laughs> we wouldn't be. No, you're right. Uh, but at 3-0 up, if you feel within your core that you have a really strong problem with that substitution, I don't really know what to tell you because I don't really see too much of an issue at 3-0 up making that change to rest a couple of players with another game in three days' time against Newcastle, who, of course, are up there with the best of the teams in the Premier League this season. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it was. It, I think that he made the right change when he brought Holding on. That just shored things up for us as he needed to. Maybe he could have brought him on a bit earlier, but of all of the, the positivity around Arteta, the very small negative I always have is his in-game management. Can he improve the timing of subs? Can he improve the players he brings on? But I think there is also a question mark of, the, how much quality there is sometimes on the bench for him to use to change games. And I think that will come with signings and the returnees from injury as well. Uh, now, I added this to the running order, uh, Sophie, for you, because, of course, you, you brought up Saka and you wanted to discuss Bakaya Saka. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to let you wax lyrical about our star boy. He is a unique footballer in that opposing teams love him. Opposing fans from international um, teams love him. He is probably one of the most important players to ever come out of Arsenal Football Club. And the fact that he's carried us at his age for two years and now functioning in a team where he has like-minded players around him, talented players around him, and seeing him flourish the way he is is unbelievable. The guys yesterday um, were talking about, like Rebecca and those guys on the ground, they said they've never seen anything like Saka. And when they interviewed him, Saka came back and said to all of them, thank you so much for the kind words you said about me at the beginning of the interview. And she was literally, who does that? And she, she was saying, no offense to like John Harks and Warren Barton and Kevin, other players, but who does that? His parents have raised him right. Let's start with the human part of it. His parents have done a phenomenal job. This kid has the world at his feet. He could be out doing all sorts of things. But he, thank goodness he doesn't have that chip that Foden and Grealish have in them. He's not, you know, dazzled by the bright lights of London. He wants to play football. And I tell you something, the club, he's the most important signing in Arsenal Football Club's history, period. And we no have to. Even, no one had any idea who he was when he signed either. Like, and he, he, he is so fundamentally important that we keep him for so many different reasons. Not only can he be Arsenal captain in the future, 
Not only is he the most marketable player we've had in years, he could also be England captain if he wants. I mean, talk about the pressure to to miss a penalty in the Euros, to right. come back and have the season, come back and have the season that he has, to to continually put himself in the forefront and be unafraid, never hides in games ever. He is. I mean, I'm not being melodramatic here. I really don't think he's so unique and special that we need to protect him at all costs and we need to re-sign him. And hearing other people, opposing fans and media people who are very well respected, not only here in the United States, but you know, on a global level, talk about Saka the way they do is unreal. And as Arsenal Football Club, we should be so proud to have this young man representing us. And you know what? He's, it's not just fluff and it's just as marketing and it's not because he's a uni, he like Mike loves him, you know, jumping on a unicorn into the pool. <laughs> he is such a talent. It's ridiculous. And he hasn't even reached his fifth gear peak yet. Oh, he, and for me, people keep talking about where's Mudrick, where's this re-signed Saka immediately. Kev said on our show, he goes, I do not want to see this young man wearing another shirt, especially a City shirt. He won't. He These won't. boys deserve to be paid. Yeah. And he there's deserves to, to be paid. There's room to pay him. There is zero reason for him or us to not make that work. I, I've never been more confident about something that's so potentially precipitously awful if it doesn't happen. I, I you know, I'm usually a pessimist because I would rather be pleasantly surprised than incredibly disappointed. Um, I have no concern. Financially, spiritually, emotionally, footballistically, I have no concern that that deal is going to happen. Um, He's, you know, Mike, uh, my nephew's a teacher and um, his really good friend uh, is an English teacher and Saka was in he, his does class. Does he aspire to be a journalist? Though, no, Saka was in his class. And all, I mean, the, the, the things that he says, even then as a student, you know, it's, not, he, it's the, the way he was raised. It's just in him. It's, He's it's this amazing. person. It, it it and and I just I have to jump in because I I the way I feel about Saka is the way I felt about your show on Friday and if I don't say it here not enough people will hear it. Uh, that show on Friday was unbelievable. Panel of guests of two of my favorite guests, my two favorite guests on the on the Hybrid Squad of all time, and then also a very good guest in Warren Barton, but uh, Rebecca Lowe. Phenomenal. And the way she spoke about Bukayo Saka, I mean, I could listen to Tom and Drew and you and, 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 um, you know, Lee and everybody talk about Bukayo Saka. He's ours. We love him, of course. But a Crystal Palace fan who has more experience in talking to footballers directly than any of us, Tom, soon to reach that level. Uh, you know, <laughs> you have, you, you've obviously had experience, but I, I mean, it's a, it's her job. And, she, for him to be so incredibly different than everybody else she talks to and 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 to come out in that kind of a glowing remark from her from from opposing fans of all kinds that's how you know you really have something and and uh i mean it was just it, it was a fantastic show i love john harks as a guest i i've been a fan of his since uh he was at dc united and and uh obviously the American thing and, and Sheffield Wednesday, but I mean, he, the, it was just an amazing show. And I know you weren't, you know, you, you weren't feeling physically all that great, but I wouldn't have canceled that show either if I were you. So, uh, so John Hawks loves Martinelli, by the way, as well. 
Yeah, Raven, if you haven't, Raven, if you Raven, haven't Raven. seen it, last Friday, Highbury Squad, go check it out because it was an incredible. You're promoting our show on Tom's show. <laughs> I mean, I'm oh, gonna, I don't really <laughs> when I'm on your show this week, I'm going to talk about how incredible this show was. So <laughs> and I talk about both of those on arsenalfc.social, which is an incredible community. I think we lost Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Drew's falling asleep at this point. <laughs> oh, so funny. I mean, they're they're incredible communities, just like on Mastodon. He's gone. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about specifically um, Saka after after the game on uh, on Saturday, the I one of the very kind uh, Brighton journalists took me and Kaya this shortcut route down to the mix zone which actually ended up getting me uh, right at the front of the mix zone which I was very very appreciative because if anyone who's ever been in a mix zone knows how competitive they can be um and it meant that I was able to ask Martin Erdegaard a few questions that'll be going out later tonight around 10 30 p.m uh so make sure you're watching on FL uh for that and I'll, I'll be tweeting them out but as we were waiting and sometimes you do have to wait quite a, a period of time for the players to to come to speak to you after the games Bakai Saka walks past with um with one of the Arsenal liaison people and he's joking with one of the the Brighton um staff uh one of just the people that's like uh, patrol the areas like and then he was joking with this woman just talking about like uh how she was like struggling with her legs and he was saying oh we should swap you can borrow mine for a bit and it was just <laughs> it was so funny like just seeing Zaka just have this kind of back and forth and then once he'd done his media uh, with the tv and the radio and he walked back the other direction they made another joke as he was walking back through and you could just it's my first kind of time seeing Zaka up close in that kind of environment and you just know how nice of a guy he is. Um, so, yeah, I look forward, hopefully, one day in the future to have a, a chat with him after the games. He doesn't typically usually do the um, the, the mix zones and stuff. But he was, yeah, he's, he's just such a funny kid. Um, and he's very I agree with you well. about the mix zone as well, by the way, Tom. Very competitive. Yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, very competitive. Should respect what you get yeah. out of those teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big, absolutely. Big <laughs> um let's uh as i said i wanted to finish the show uh, unfortunately we are going to be running out of time for questions uh today but if you do have some questions you want to ask leave them in the comment section and, and i know these guys read back through the comments so if they see anything that's directed their way i'm sure they'll be happy to to answer some of those in the comment section after the show's finished but the last kind of elephant in the room if you like uh was this um and Ukrainian Kaya Kainak. <laughs> I, have you the, the blonde, Kaya about how blonde hair yeah, the, the glowing blonde locks uh, of both Kaya and Madrick are certainly impressive. But uh, again, uh, there's, obviously, there's these rumours flying about. Today, I've seen that apparently a second bid may have, have gone in. I can't corroborate that story at all. And I've spoken to a couple of people that work, certainly don't have that information either. But there are these rumours suggesting. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that Madrick in the chat box is very happy that it is his time uh, to be discussed, which is fantastic. Um, I'm really curious who that genuinely is because they're a member. So I must know who they are. I'm very <laughs> curious who that actually well, is. Well, it has to be him because, I mean, YouTube does doesn't let you use a, a like a fake name you know you have to, it has oh, to be yeah, maybe they're verified because you know unless they spend eight pound a month if you want to do that um but drew i'm gonna kick you in a minute <laughs> drew uh i know that we kind of i don't know if we really deviate too much of this i know it was an off-handed comment in a whatsapp group that i'm taking one step maybe too far um but 
we've seen Madrid now post these kind of images uh, of him watching the games. I find it hilarious. I kind of love it. But I know you're not a fan of it at all. And I know getting you on the show, I wanted you to get a chance to, to talk about this. So, uh, yeah, tell me tell me how you feel about what Dave describes as the twerking to the next level uh, of this. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny, Dave. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, put it to me to be always like the... I don't know. Maybe I don't have a sense of humor, but I think I think it's just beyond cringe. And I just feel like there's lots of young players that are hopeful of getting like that big break move, right? That they want to make like the huge next up level kind of thing, but you never hear about it. They'll they'll, they'll say something like, you know, I have here a link to whatever club. You know, I'm just playing football and I'm letting like my agent handle or whatever, and like I'm hopeful, but we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful, but we'll see what happens is a completely rational thing to say, and you just move forward. The way that he's just like going on social media and it's almost he's just like pleading i personally i'm not a massive fan of it um i don't know i i'm it could just be his personality maybe he just finds the hilarity in it well and if that's the case so be it but i kind of just feel like i've always been the kind of person where i'm just kind of i'm just i have a reserved personality right Mm. so i'm looking at from a very from a different lens through that lens it's just more of just like the immature child that i am is that what you're saying (laughs) yes that's what it is you are you are you are definitely no i'm just kidding but can i can i ask you a quick question what do you does it worry you in the sense that character wise yes Yeah, um, coming to Arsenal and what kind of what this symbolizes. Just as extra clarity as well, what I will say is that Drew, when we signed a Bamiang, immediately highlighted the problem of how he left Dortmund. And then, what, three years later, it happened again. So before people go, oh, Drew's a negative Nelly, oh, Drew needs to lighten up. He predicted the Abamyang end well oh, ahead of it happening. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I kind of, I mean, yeah, and I mentioned it in the WhatsApp. And I guess I was kind of hesitant to bring it up here, but Sophie brought it up <laughs> inadvertently. So I'll just touch on it. But yes, it's, I do kind of feel like, yes, play, he's young. So players can mature over time, obviously, and you hope that they do. But if, if and I, I said it in the chat, I said, what well, if this was Martinelli doing this to us currently, how would we take that as a fan base? Would we, would we appreciate it? How would we view it? He would absolutely roast it on social media if this was Martinelli doing it to go to, I don't know, whoever, Real Madrid or something. So if I look at it in the reverse, is do I want well, a player? Yeah. yeah, do I want a player to come to this club who, for whatever reason, say we didn't win the league this season, say we didn't win Champions League or whatever it is, say three seasons from now, after Mudrik is in on the books, a bigger club comes in and he wants to go. And the cycle repeats. And if he did this, how would we take that? I wouldn't be a fan of it. I'd want him gone immediately. I just kind of feel like it speaks to like you're allowed to have ambitions as a footballer and you should, you should want to get to the best possible level that your career can take you. There's absolutely no harm in that for one of the best you can get. And what is a, a, a short career in terms of your life and other, some people are, are teachers for 50 years. You're only a footballer for 15 years, give or take, depending on once you break into the first team. Right. So you have a short time to, to enjoy your time in the sun. And I understand that, but also this kid came through Shakhtar's Academy. You know, he's, he's a product of that club and he's kind of just saying, I'm done with you guys. See you later. I don't care about you anymore. It's kind of just like have some, a little bit of, a little bit of class, a little bit of respect for where you came from, for what your origins are, show that club, you know, what they deserve. And I don't think this is it personally. So that's just my take. Um, Irrespective of all the other reservations I have <laughs> about, about the deal. 
this thing. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm curious because I think it starts off a conversation. So, is it so the for price me, tag that's, that's yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about it. Um, yeah. So for me, um, we can use the Cody Gakpo deal to Liverpool and say a player who plays in a, a better league than the Ukrainian league, who just came off of what was a pretty decent World Cup, just went for what it's 40 million euro, 40 million plus 20 on 50 total 50 total yeah Yeah. Shakhtar wants a club record fee would be a club record fee from us to get a player who really if you if you talk brass tacks he's only given you roughly a 12 month window to to show this is what I'm about and then we now want 80 million that's absolutely nuts to me and I think the club know that as well and I do think when you when you read through the news and whatnot I think Arteta and Edu have their ceiling and they won't go past it. And I'm hopeful of that. But at the same time, for that kind of price point, I would prefer a player that can come in and, and kind of move the needle. But at the same time, young players are going for more and more b- bigger fees these days. And I think Arteta and Edu are looking at it as not what he can do this season, but what he can do two years from now. And if they'd rather pay 70 million now in total now, instead of 130 in two years, that's why they want to do it. But my reservations are, if you look at him as a player, and I have the ability to dip in through on, on why Scott more than most people, obviously because I don't sit here and watch Ukrainian football all the time. Um, it's the one league you don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> it had that's to be probably, one. I that's mean. probably true. Um, he's a very left-sided player. You know, he, the majority of the, of the highlights that people have seen him, it's very typical. He picks the ball and drives into space. It's... He, he uses his physical attributes, which you can't teach, and there's something to that. The fact that he is so physically attributed already, his, he's absolutely lightning, which is, again, you mm. can't teach that. And that's, that's the fastest player I've ever seen. And he's I, up there, And for I sure. include Traore with that yeah. as well. And I don't disagree with that. My issue is he does not sit against really organized deep blocks consistently. And I feel like a lot of the concerns I see in Rydrick are the ones that a lot of people had in Nico Pepe before he came from Lille. A lot of the same highlights that people lauded Pepe for are very similar to this. I, so, I, I have a slight... I'm going to interject because of, obviously I did the... We did a tactical breakdown on the channel uh, yeah. a couple of days ago with... with Brilliant Andrew show, Thomas. by the way, um, Tom. Thanks, that was man. excellent. And, and I really did want to... And I really... And I said to Andrew before we did the show, I was like, I'm going to ask you about the low block counterattack because it's something that the fan base is talking about a lot. And before we did the show on Scout, I went through... Every shot and every attacking situation he's been in this season, because I was determined to marriage you have, Tom. (laughs) She wasn't here, so it was fine. She was a newlywed, Um, (laughs) and it was because I wanted to see him when he was in the tight spaces and when the defense of the opposition was sitting back. And he plays for at the moment the second best team in in Ukraine because they're second in the table behind the Dnipro. Um, but typically Shakhtar being the dominant side that they are when they play in the Ukrainian league, they do play against teams where they are dominating possession and they have got more of the ball. He tends to kind of try to find the space when there isn't any, because that's just his natural way of playing. He wants to work in space. He wants to be on the ball. He wants to then take players on. So he tends to kind of pull off the back of like the left uh, of, of the, of the right back of the opposition team to try and, because usually in Ukraine, they 
quite they play quite narrow defensively around the box when they're coming up against a side like Shakhtar. So he pulls off the back of the right back and then will work space and usually either dink a ball into the box, he's been trying to do more of his left foot, or come in on his right foot and take a very powerful shot, which either goes wildly over or is a very good, well-taken shot, which is so... He's kind of... He's beginning to master this technique of shooting where the ball just bounces before the goalkeeper. And it makes it so incredibly difficult. The last goal he scored for Shakhtar, if you're able to watch it, he does this shot where he cuts inside. It bounces so close to the keeper that you think the keeper should save it. No, because the way it bounces, he just parries it. Strategy. Yeah, he parries mm. it into the top of the net because he's so he can't judge where the ball's going to go. And people go, oh, the keeper should save that. But actually, it's more props to the player for shooting in the style that he does to get that chance. But can I have I to, counter, I, Can I make a counterpoint to, yeah, the, go on. to the character part? Because, again, yeah, you guys... Yeah, go on. I mean, way, way more tactical understanding of, of what he does and doesn't bring. I have I have concerns about the Pepe thing as well. Um, and, and Isn't I'm that not, coachable, though? Well, if the player wants to be. Yeah, if the player wants to be coachable. Some, I think the issue with Pepe, and it's a fair question, so but I think with Pepe didn't want it coached out of him. I think he wanted to be mm. this player. It Which isn't necessarily wrong, as well, isn't right? It? But it's also kind of if that's the, if you if you know you're that kind of player and you know you, the club you're going to doesn't play that brand of football, maybe you shouldn't make that move. So it's kind of like six and one half dozen of the other kind of thing. Just my take. So. First, first though, I mean, I, I don't, I don't put a direct comparison. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Drew, and 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 I tend to agree. As much as I talk about character and mentality and chemistry, believe me, I I don't discount what a player does and 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 you're you're just a lot more sane than most people you're looking at including myself you're looking at things holistically and and you're right to have concerns in an employment situation you would look at how somebody leaves one employer and and joins another whether they you know are respectful whether they lie i mean i had an assistant uh one time who uh or a co-worker let's say who uh you know who went out for lunch and it was a job interview someplace else um, but like you, you do have to look at that, but sports are different and, and leagues are different and football is, is not a traditional employment environment. And, and, you know, yeah, I, it, it hurt me to, to see little boys inside Arsenal players who came up through our Academy feel talking about how they had always wanted to play someplace else, knowing that that really wasn't true until the, the move became available to them. So, no, I wouldn't like it if Martinelli was doing the same thing and twerking for Real Madrid. But I sure as hell like it that, that Mudrik seems to want nothing more in life than to play for the Arsenal. And I don't think one of the greatest things this week that happened, and if it's true, in my opinion, is this interest from Chelsea that, yeah. that they might want to hijack this bid. I mean, Chelsea hijacking the bid does not worry me. It gives the one thing that we needed about this whole Mudrick situation, which is, does he really want Arsenal or just does he want to get out of Ukraine? Uh, which, by the way, I'll do respect. I don't blame a player from wanting to get out of, out, out of the Ukrainian league right now. Mm. Um, and he wouldn't be the first in the last year. No, and sure. no, and 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 he does have compatriots and com- and countrymen who play not only on Arsenal, but in the Premier League, who have had success. And it, it's a landing spot that anybody would aspire to. And and the best thing about this potential Chelsea involvement, and I hope it's real as opposed to just, you know, Shakhtar's negotiating tactic, but 
is it shows does he really want to come to the Arsenal or does he really just want a big money move and the Arsenal was the only one that was being talked about? And so far, he's passing that test with flying colors yeah. um, as of yesterday's yeah. Instagram postings. And, and you know, I, I, I'm just not going to be worried about him pushing so hard for a move to Arsenal where it's logical that he would be happier. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. Could he Could he end up being a, a troublemaker? Could he destabilize the dressing room? I don't think... I don't, I don't think he has that rep. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether he has that rep, but Zinchenko yeah. doesn't have that rep, and he's there yeah. as his big brother. Yeah, but uh, even if he does, Arteta won't tolerate it. And that's yeah, because, that's, that's and, the and, argument, isn't it? Why would he sign someone that has that rep? You know, and they, they do that genuinely in interested in him. And they, if they've done nothing but earn our, our as Arsenal supporters, try, I mean, if they, I think 50 to 60 million based on just the incredible dossiers that I've compiled on him, uh, I think 50 to 60 million is about the limit and going higher than that is crazy. But I also think that if Adu and Arteta think that, that it makes sense to go to 75 on him, I'm all in. Because it's them thinking that, not us. So, but if he I, comes in and we spend eighty and we win the league, that is great ROI, money well spent. If yeah. he, if we don't win the league, we get Champions League and we're competing. I mean, at, this this guy is. You're talking about this season, us. or because or, if I don't he remember. comes in January and he hits the ground running and we win the league and he contributes, even if he scores four goals, and it's the difference between first and second. That is, in modern day sports, that is money well spent. You're immediately getting ROI. His value has gone up as well. I bet. I, I, bet we get, I think we have PTSD when it comes to Pepe, what we spent for him. But I, what we spent for him. What, P- I, I agree spent? with you. I agree with you. Most people do. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like, it shouldn't matter. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> right. I mean, Arsenal at some point, you know, we're not the type of club that go out and pay $100 million for a player. Um, but if he is the player and Arteta wants him, you buy him for eighty million. Mm. And maybe for the next six years, not just for this season, and because I, right. frankly, I don't know, if he gets t- a ton of time on the pitch this season if mm. we sign him in January. Maybe you know, is he eligible for Europa League? Yeah, he is. I think. I think the because obviously he was in the Champions League and they changed that rule when about right. the year after Aubameyang. Right after Aubameyang, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing for me, the reason why I'm I'm getting on scary Zobosli levels of obsessed with this guy. You know, I genuinely am. Um, I, I, I've watched far too, I've invested far too much time. Staring, at, and watching staring at Kaya now. when you have the opportunity, just picturing <laughs> that he's, that his yes. hair was a little shorter. When, and he, when Kaya came to me in the Amex the other day and shake my hands, I was like, it's Mudrick. No, it's not. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but no, um, it's, it is because I, um, I, I genuinely think he's the perfect player for these six months in that position because I think he's the killer. I think he's the game ender. I think he's the guy when we're 1-1 against Southampton or we're 1-0 up against Southampton, comes on when Southampton are chasing us, finds that space in behind and kills him. Like Martinelli did you know, yeah, yesterday. Martin against Brighton. Right I, mean, I would take two of those guys. I, I, I just think yeah. he... he he can. And I think when he was developing up through, and as we heard from Andrew on the breakdown, you know, he played at 10, you know, he played on the right when he was developing as well. And whilst he's very left-sided now, because that's where he's being used at Shakhtar, he has got history of being more versatile. He he has got that history. And and you look what Arteta has done with players. You look what he's done with Xhaka. You look what he's done with even Erdegaard changing him from kind of a 10 to more of this reserved eight, not reserved, but more reserved than a 10. You know, he's playing slightly deeper. He changes players. He makes them better. 
and players want to be made better by him, which is so key for that. Um, so it, the price tag is always going to be the big thing, I think, about this discussion. We all know that clearly Mudrick is a very talented footballer. It is just going to come down to how much Arsenal ultimately want to play. Um, Drew, I'm going to give you the final word on this because I gave you the first one and then we're going to wrap things up. Anything extra to add? No, I was actually going to you, – you kind of brought it up, so I was going to ask the three of you. So he famously – well, not famously, but he said previously that he would rather go to Arsenal or any other club to start rather than sit on Real Madrid's bench. Mm. He's currently probably going to sit on our bench because he's not going to start over Martinelli. He's not going to start over Saka. He's not going to start over Odegaard or Nketiah. So what's the incentive? So what do you think he might be being told by Arteta and or Edu or whatever combination that is – that's going to make him want to come here. What do you think is the long-term picture for him? Because at the moment, I, any of those three positions, irrespective of center forward, are being occupied by players he's likely isn't going to get ahead enough currently, and maybe even for the next year or two, depending on how he develops. So what's think, the plan? You think Riyad Mahrez is happy right now? I think that he's... I think Arteta is using the Manchester City example mm-hmm. to players in his pitch. Right, you're going to get to play a part. Everybody is, and look, we saw what happened to us at the end of last season: three injuries, and we were out. Players will get the opportunity to play. We're gonna, we're in the FA Cup, we're in the champion, uh, the Europa League knockout phase, and intense Premier League matches uh, coming up. And I think Arteta is probably using that City model, saying, "Look, they won and they're successful because they have a squad of players." And I think he can sell that to players and have them believe it. I don't There's know. One reason. There's only one reason why a player would not want to be playing. Let, let's let's say there's 180 minutes in a week that you'd only play 90 of them. Maybe it's 65 and 35. Maybe it's 35 and 35. And then if there's sure. an injury or the start, there's only one reason why a player would not want to be that kind of player on a winning team. And I use Mares as the example of that because there's Foden, there's there's Holland. There's, yeah, I mean, there's all these people in front of him, but yet he's still contributing to the team and they're winning, winning, winning. Only one reason why a person would want to do that. And that's the ability to get more money in their next contract because they're not playing enough, or maybe they're not getting, getting the, the opportunity to play for their national team because they're not considered starters on their team. And Modric doesn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know why that would be a counter incentive. Um, and I don't think he's going to sit on the bench. I think he will not start a lot of games, yeah. but that you know, with two games a week for pretty much and hopefully for the rest of this season, we don't got... know if he comes in and scores an abundance of goals. You don't, you just, you don't know. And that pushes yeah. Martinelli, it pushes soccer. Not yeah. that they need it, but they, but they might. And 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 uh, and you never know. I mean, with the, with our fluidity of players, having another one that I mean, all four of those guys scored yesterday. Maybe we have all five of them score in the you know in February. I, I think a really good example is Fabio Vieira. You know this this guy scored uh, had sorry twenty three goal contributions for Porto last season, um, and he was coming to a side that's got Martin Odegaard, that's got Bakaya Saka in the two positions that you would say where he would probably have the most minutes at Arsenal. And yet, I'm confident that Arteta would be able to convince Mudrik to come to Arsenal in the same way that he's been able to convince a player that's shown great progression in the Portuguese league at a young age, you know, in the same way that Fabio Vieira did. So I think that in reality, in, in answer to your question, Drew, Arteta will probably be telling him to get real, 
you know, if you want to come to Arsenal or Real Madrid, the likelihood is you're going to have to fight for your place. You know, you're not guaranteed anything at this kind of level. And if you want to, as you're talking about, become the best player in the world, then you're going to have to fight against the other best players in the world to reach that level. And that means moving to a club like Arsenal or Real Madrid or whoever in the future. Not Chelsea, because they've just drawn against Nottingham Forest for long. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> the best way to, to sum it up. Anyway, I think we've covered things in lots of detail. And as Mike said, when I set out to do an hour podcast, ultimately I'm always going to go for 80 minutes. <laughs> it's just what's going to happen. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Sorry that we've not, not been able to take questions. As I said, if you've got anything burning in your minds, do leave them in the comment section. If you think that you can hold them on to the 8 a.m. show, you know I do a Q&A every morning anyway, so I'll be back tomorrow morning answering your questions then. Um, but if you obviously are in a different time zone, that means you can't tune in live for those. Do leave your, your questions in the comment section and we'll endeavour to get back to you. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated as always. Tell people where they can thank find you. you. Yep, at Highbury Squad right there. Uh, tune in Monday Madness tomorrow night and uh, we have a little podcast royalty in the house, the Arsenal Vision Podcast uh, Squad are joining us and I'm very excited and looking forward to that. Um, doing a little talk sport all tonight. Of them. The, uh, no, not all of them. Oh. Elliot and Clive. Oh, that's all right. That's, that's pretty good. You know, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Will I've Elliot, tried, I've tried to get Tim Stillman on. Will Elliot's whole face be covered by his microphone or only the bottom half of it? <laughs> I don't know. Is he still like somewhere in the Caribbean? I have no idea. But... This, this is he, he just does this. This, is yeah, this, was, this was Elliot on the last podcast. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah tell so started um, on audio only platforms don't you? <laughs> brilliant so thanks for having me and happy new year to all of your listeners and thanks for having me on the show in 2022 continue your journey you're smashing it tom and very proud to see you doing all of your bits now um thanks, in the mate. press box and stuff appreciate that no thank you very much and and of course uh congratulations on all the hard work that goes on with the hybrid squad and thank you for being a part of the eat sleep arsenal repeat pod which will hopefully be back um on thursday if we're recording on wednesday because of course arsenal playing on tuesday which makes an evening record on tuesday impossible so we'll probably bring you that a day uh later as well lost a few pounds over the holiday season i I I mean that's that's insane. <laughs> I definitely didn't. No chance. So we can have a little bit of a talk about New Year's resolutions and stuff like that, which should be fun. Uh, Drew, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you back on the channel and see your cheery, smiley face always. Uh, <laughs> tell people where they can find you, my friend. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at MixKidRemix. Uh, thanks for having me back. I know it's been a while, but, you know, my situation. So it's been interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's been good. It's been good to see Mike. It's good to get the pie with Sophie. Um, so yeah, everyone in the chat, thanks for coming. Got Nidar, which is Happy New Year in Swedish, and enjoy. There you go, love it. You can find him on Twitter at MixKidRemix. He's uh, seventy eighth Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> Mike, finally, thank you so much for coming on and keeping things clean. I always appreciate that. Of course, we we started off two minutes in. I was like, oh goodness, if this is where we're starting, I wonder where we're going. That's the that's the only profanity that I know, and and I just got it out of my system. It's good, I, you know. <laughs> But thank you for coming on and tell people where they can find you on my appropriate social media platforms. <laughs> I don't know why you, you you must own stock in the in the company. But um, actually, speaking of the Newcastle game on Tuesday, can I can I quickly just point out that uh, if you are in or or around London and want to have the experience of your life at, at a Newcastle game with our top of the table Arsenal, go to GoonerAuction.com because we were gifted. Uh, and by we, I mean Gooners versus Cancer was gifted uh, four club VIP level tickets for the game on Tuesday, which include 
something that some of you might like, which is unlimited alcohol. Uh, it also includes like a champagne reception with an Arsenal legend, um, which I believe is going to be Tom. The best club seats in the house. I think it's block 63 right on the center. Uh, what, do, what do we call it in, in, in proper football? So the Pop center level. stripe. Mid, uh, midfield 50 yard line and and it's uh it, it's the value of those tickets is about 4400 quid and they're they're on auction i think right now it's been the, the auction started at about uh 600 um it's up to about 1600 now so they're not wow. cheap tickets but neither are tickets on the you know on the secondary market and these come with a ton of 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 great stuff so and of course your money goes to gunners versus cancer so check that out if you can the the auction ends almost 24 hours from now gunner auction did you say.com gunner auction.com i try to make it easy for people gunner auction.com and uh and check it out and um and yeah uh join us on uh on arsenal fc.social if you want a a nice non-toxic uh, i was asked to make sure that the two of you were were, were made aware of it and i'm like <laughs> You know, I don't know why the closer friends they are, the more resistant they are to joining Arsenal FC that social. But you'll see. You'll I see. just I, I I just as soon as Mike started winding me up about it, I, I just didn't want yeah. to do it. <laughs> and and then I, Tom, he, he called me, he goes, Hey lady. So I, I didn't say that. Out. Mike Hurts said that. <laughs> Mike Hurts. That, that are we talking Hertz. about Hurtsy? That wasn't me. I didn't do that. Read, read the chat, my lady. <laughs> I did not do that. That wasn't my meme. That was hers. And uh, and, love yeah. it. And uh, and and yeah, I used to think Tom was like really, really mature for his age, but he's just sticking his sticking his uh, okay. stick, making a making a uh, making a, a line in the sand is what I was trying to say about this and uh you know it's to your own detriment see drew shaking his head it's to, it's to career. It's, it's to he the knows me he knows what i do because he's exactly the same and that's the thing you have built this incredible <laughs> career and now you are stunting its growth by by intentionally avoiding the future of arsenal social media <laughs> I think you're just trying to make this show go for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's I did. I did. I did bet ninety minutes on the over under. So, uh, did, okay. yeah. um, thank you everybody that's listened uh, this evening. We appreciate your time as always. Make sure you go and follow Highbury Squads, the Gooners Pods, and Drew. Reminds me, Avenel Roads Podcast. Is that right? Avenel um, Roadcast. Yeah, Roadcast. There mm -hmm. you go uh, as well. And you and my Arsenal. Um, so make sure you go and check out all of the related Arsenal podcasts, um, providing you with uh, really up to date and rapid responses i one of the big things i find when i finished what like when the game's done i really want to find content immediately after the game's finished either on the way back from the games and um thankfully there are people out there like mike and soph and drew that can provide content as soon as possible we can all wait around for the professional people like ask blog and, and vision to produce theirs early next week <laughs> but we need some content now and thankfully those people do provide that to you so uh, a massive thank you for them coming on as always and giving their thoughts and feelings about stuff as i mentioned at the start of the show uh, an interview with martin Odegaard is going up on my page on football.london at 10 30 so make sure you go and give that a read he was a lovely chap really nice guy uh, and i was very appreciative to be able to ask so many questions to him including uh, a cheeky one about the title race which you'll see uh, come out later on this evening as well um but thank you for listening drop a like subscribe if you're new and i will see you uh, tomorrow morning bright and early as always 
at 8 a.m. UK time. Have a fantastic evening. And as always, up the arse. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.